0: Welcome back to the Manufacturing Culture Podcast, your daily dose of inspiration and innovation in the world of manufacturing. I'm your host, Jim Mayer, ready to dive into another fascinating conversation. But before we get started, a quick shout out to our listeners. Don't forget to check out all of our amazing content at ManufacturingCulturePodcast.com and join our vibrant community on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. And a huge thank you to our sponsor, Speroni, who are true pioneers in precision and innovation, perfectly aligning with the spirit of our podcast. Now, let's introduce a guest who's as versatile and dynamic as a come. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thrilled to welcome Zach Carlin to the show. Zach's journey is a tapestry of relentless drive and diverse experiences. He's not just any professional. He's been a professional athlete in three sports, embodying the spirit of competition and excellence. But Zach didn't stop there. He ventured into the entrepreneurial world with an intriguing flair, flipping and selling gyms and proving that his business acumen is as sharp as his athletic prowess. Beyond these impressive feats, Zach has also been a guiding force in executive leadership, coaching industry titans like HP, Salesforce, and Tamco. His insights and strategies have empowered leaders to navigate the complex challenges of the corporate world with finesse and confidence. Zach's expertise even extends to the manufacturing industry, where he has served as the VP of development for Window Manufacturing Company, bringing his unique perspective and innovative strategies to the table. Today, Zach is a captain of his own destiny, running a successful business consulting firm that specializes in scaling small to medium sized businesses. His approach is not just about growth. It's about transformative growth, making businesses not just bigger, but better and more resilient. So gear up for an episode filled with insights, inspiration and incredible stories as we chat with Zach Carlin about his journey, his lessons and his vision for the future of business, and even manufacturing. Welcome to the show, Zach. How's your day going today?
1: It was. It's going amazing. And I'm gonna want that recording because I'm gonna listen to that every morning and get me hyped up. That was
0: you
1: got it, me- man. I, you I got appreciate it. it. I appreciate it. That, that, that was, I'm ha- really happy to be here. This is been to a good <laughs> conversation.
0: You're very welcome. I'm really excited for the the conversation. Uh, Zach, are you old enough to remember Stuart Smalley from uh, Saturday Night Live? I am. Okay. So that's what you can do with that recording every morning. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And gosh, darn it. People like me. Just listen to that every morning. Pump yourself up. Get ready for the day.
1: That's my affirmations. I love it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So Zach, you've got a heck of a story, my man. Um, I'm really interested to hear what your journey has been why are you and I talking today? I mean, what led you to this part in your journey where where we're having this conversation? Mm
1: -hmm. And that, and I appreciate you asking that because that's one thing that's been so introspective, insightful and doing these podcasts and having these kind of conversations. You, I've talked about a lot of stuff. I just haven't even thought of before even. Yeah. So that, the, the question of how did we end up talking? I asked myself that a lot. I'm like, how did I get here? How am I talking to this person? How am I in this room? I was at a, a business planning workshop in Fort Lauderdale with one of my mentor groups, Patrick but David, and I was in a room and I'm like, I, you kind of stop I'm having cigars with these people and I'm like, how did I get here? because I you know I look I look back and you know when I was 18 19 years old I was I didn't I barely graduated high school I didn't graduate high school actually. I actually had to go back and get my GED and I was homeless at 1819. Oh wow. So to to look back and then be like, how did I get here is, is wild. So I was I grew up in a really small town in Canada. I'm actually Canadian, so apologize if that offends anybody, but <laughs> Canada. is what it is.
0: Um not gonna offend anybody. We uh, may uh, talk hockey or French yeah. curlers or Tim Hortons or something like that.
1: I, I love my I still love my Timmies, but <laughs> uh very small town. I'm a country kid. Okay. Born and raised in the country, population, the town's called Claire's Home. I think when I was growing up, population like nine hundred something like that. Oh wow, very small. Yeah. So if you weren't doing sports, you were into drugs, basically is where, where I was. So I, for the most part, um, it was sports. Uh, I was I was a karate black belt by the time I was eight. Wow. Uh, I got into hockey right around that time. I was about seven or eight when I got into hockey. Um, I basketball, football bad badminton was actually my one of my favorite sports in high school believe it or not wow um, yeah track all that stuff everything yeah and then uh hockey was kind of it wasn't wasn't my dream it was somebody else's dream um which is fine right and and i kind of yeah. rebelled and then i I chose the other the other As choice, one does right yeah i chose the other choice and we lived on a highway it's called the crow's pass it kind of goes right up the middle of the rocky mountains over there okay and um it was owned by the Hells Angels, so it was very easy to get into drugs and you know, yeah. bad, bad crowd. And that was probably, if you look back at, you know, kind of given your past experience credit, that's where, you know, you really, it really got ingrained in me as you are a product of who you surround yourself with and you have a choice, right? Um, and also kind of what real friends are. Sure. Right? And that's usually not typically what you think. But anyways, um, and then, so eighteen nineteen, 19, uh, one of my boxing coaches is name Gord. Still don't know his last name, just Gord. <laughs> don't need to either. He looked like a Gord. And um, he, I remember I was sleeping in one of those, it's like a horizontal uh, slide, like those little tubes. Yeah. Yeah, right? So I was, I was laying down in one of those in one of our um, playgrounds and just outside of Claremont. And I remember he, he kicked me so hard in the calf. I still feel it <laughs> whenever I, I've like, Whenever I'm down or I feel you know sorry for myself or whatever it is, I can feel that sting. And he kicked me. He's like, "You need to get your, you need to get your. I don't know if I can swear on You need to get your shit together." You can, yeah, you can. Okay, you, yeah. you need to get your your shit together and uh you know get a job and all this kind of stuff. And you know when you're so far down, looking up at that, it looks really far away. Sure. So it's almost like you know, poor me. How am I going to get out of this? And he's just like, "Let's just go buy you a new shirt and let's just okay. start there." You know, we we, so we went to the bargain store. And I bought a red red shirt with, like, one of those melty kind of yellow smiley faces on it. still remember the shirt. And um, got a shirt, wrote a resume. Luckily, I had a somebody who knew me. I mean, everybody knows everybody in a town like that, Who, but somebody yeah. who still kind of believed in me a little bit. And I got a job at the swimming pool. And the swimming pool just happened to be attached, again, small town. We tend to put a lot of things in one building. It <laughs> um, was a part of the addictions unit okay. where I ended up. Visiting, yep. uh, Where my mom was the admissions coordinator.
0: Interesting twist of events. Interesting
1: twist, exactly. So, you can believe again. Being in a small town, people know like those those small town politics. I I had I had a certain you know reputation, and I mostly felt bad for my for my mom. So, I wanted to get out of there as quick as I could. But kind of what got me out of everything was I started competing in mixed martial arts again. I kind of got back into you know taking care of my body, getting getting clean, eating well working hard and getting kind of obsessed again. So and then I had a, just before I turned 20, I had a sister that moved to Las Vegas. So I said, oh, this is my chance. So she was a nurse and, you know, if I get beat up, she can take care of me. <laughs> <laughs> Which I did. Um, so I moved to Las Vegas, uh, competed um, in mixed martial arts professionally for about three and a half years. Okay. Um, an injury took me out. Uh, ended up having to leave the country. Um, met my now ex-wife, but met, she was my wife at the time, met her there. We moved back to Canada. And then that's when kind of my entrepreneurial uh, journey kind of started. So I came back um, and started my second sport, uh, which was CrossFit. Got to travel the world, competed in Brazil, Dubai, France, all over the wow. US, Canada. Yeah. And who knew it was a sport? <laughs> until, I, until I started doing it, I was like, oh, okay, this is fun. I get to compete and not get hit all the time. So it was, it was good. It was it's good. a
0: step up for you. Yeah. It was, it was a step up. Yeah. and. Uh,
1: but it was still like an hour and a half drive from where I was from a small town, so we moved to Calgary and I ended up buying into uh the gym That yeah. I was in. it was you know small small minority kind of owner sort of thing and um i got our I saw our first p n l statement and I was like it was like single digits and I was like, I thought owning a business was more profitable than this <laughs> but no it wasn't so and i was so enthralled in competing so i trained three times a day you know was doing 12 workouts a week so when you're not doing that you're just you're just resting yeah well, not to do anything eating mostly eating and getting massages and that kind of stuff so anyways i kind of used that downtime to learn about how can i make that number go up okay so that that's where it, it kind of really started for me so i i, I kind of became obsessed with it as a hobby mm-hmm. because i was still my identity was still tied to Competing. Competing and, you know, I'm not supposed to be a business owner. You know, I barely, I went back and got my GED by that time, but, you know, I barely graduated and whatever. Yeah. Right. So you, you kind of put yourself in shackles based on some past Absolutely. And I And I had done that. So it was always a hobby. Yep. But we made the number go up with getting better coaches, uh, improving, uh, diversifying revenue streams, partnering with some, you know, I ended up getting some supplement sponsors. So I, you know, learning how to negotiate with them. Yeah, bringing in product so that we could sell the product, and then we started. Okay, because in, in in the same thing in, in manufacturing plants, you are a lot of times, especially in your first building, your it's the square footage that's holding you back in a lot of ways. Yeah, right. So it's how do you maximize the square footage? In whether it's a manufacturing plant, like for us, it was when we were manufacturing windows. How can we utilize every square footage so that we have and we can make a profit with? every square foot right because you're yeah. really limited on space same thing in gyms you're limited by time and square footage so it's how can you optimize square footage right of the gym so mm-hmm. you know that's where we would you know we put up it was it was not great but we put up like these two standalone blind wall things so like when we brought in like massage therapists and so you know the like, parts of the gym that weren't otherwise being utilized are now being leased out so anyway so we started started understanding a lot of that stuff Okay. And then we got into the marketing, and by the time I exited that one, the the number was higher than initially, <laughs> which was great.
0: Then the single yeah. digit that you originally saw, yeah.
1: yeah. And then kind of replicated that with a different different gym. It was a little bit different style, but it still worked. A lot of it okay. still worked. And then by the time I had done with that gym, so that was my second gym. I kind of had a little bit of a framework, so I was more like, okay, I guess I'm doing this now. So now I would just I would leave, and then kind of plop that framework into another one. And at one point, I had three of them. That was my fifth, my third, fourth, and fifth gym, and they were running very well. Just again, based on marketing, diversifying revenue streams, bundling, you know, having great people around. Client retention was it was a big focus. LTV was a big focus. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I just I kind of had a formula, right? And then from there, I moved uh, to from Calgary, Alberta to Edmonton. Uh, One of my sponsors, we decided to partner. We had a, a equipment manufacturing a uh, gym equipment manufacturing company and uh, we scaled that from about 1.8 to just just a little over 20 million in about three wow. years wow that's yeah. a heck of had a very good yeah we had it sounds i mean it, it was i mean we took advantage of what we had for sure yeah. everything ran ran well he had his kind of mothership company this is more of his passion project his mothership company the guy that i partnered with was a uh, transportation logistics so okay. we had a huge warehouse he already had the. The transportation the logistics all that was very it was very thought out like that was his baby so that that helped a lot and then i had i had some good connections and again we went from just selling equipment to big gyms like okay how can we how can we get more profit per like square footage of steel so we would start to lease we, we would buy big rigs and then lease it to competitions or conventions and shows so that we could get more profit per per basically square footage of steel yeah, and, and also that was there was getting to be some uh, like shipping like lead times were brutal right there because a mm-hmm. lot of it we were getting from china so lead times were bad so we had to think outside the box so then we had to get okay what what do we have right, right now and optimize you know our profit per rig or whatever yeah. and then so we started getting partnerships for leasing which not a lot of people were doing so we got a lot of good business through that because then we would go and put everything together, our team would go and put everything together where these competitions and conventions usually would have to buy it, hire a team, put it in themselves where we're like, Well, that why don't we just do it for you? Yeah. Pay us and then and then, you know, we started getting some residuals off of that and kind of thing. So it was we had a lot of there was a lot of opportunity. And, yeah. And we took advantage of it. Um and then we had a daughter, moved back to Vegas and then uh, I started um I mean that, that was around COVID. So everyone else okay. how that went. Uh, so then that's when I met my, my former, um, partner, um, we started our, my first kind of leadership consulting agency. And that's when I got to work with some Salesforce, HP, Tamco, car gurus sales, you know, there's a lot of, obviously mostly like insurance, smaller SMEs kind of stuff. And then my uh, company that I'm currently fractional with, um, which is the morph morph windows where we manufacture, sell and install custom window replacement. So that's kind of how I ended up ended up here. And uh, then we, had uh, me and my partner, we started Summit Chasers because this is what we're passionate about. We're passionate about business, small small to medium-sized businesses that, you know, kind of, you know, there's, there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that kind of, they're solopreneurs or they have their passion about something. And then they wake up one day and they're like, crap, I have a business. I have a company, yep. right? I should maybe, you know, try Focus to make, create, a, create yeah. a foundation and, you know, because they, they either... They either wake up and they're like, oh crap, I have this thing. I have to, I have to focus on it, and organize it and get good people around me. Or they're, they're in it so much. Like they're so consumed with the day to day, the whirlwind that yeah. they never step back and be like, okay, how can I like, this isn't what I thought success looked like. Yeah. So that's, that's a big passion, passion of mine, especially those that kind of have weird, weird backgrounds like me, they. <laughs> a lot of visionaries have weird backgrounds and i think that they deserve the success so we want the the success of small businesses to be an expectation not an anomaly
0: yeah absolutely uh, i mean you've you've competed so we heard about you know uh the mixed martial arts and and the crossfit what was the third sport that you were strongman oh you were a strongman, strongman.
1: too yeah yeah so when I had just, during COVID, because I didn't, there was nothing really to do other than go yeah. to the gym. So, and they were doing a whole bunch of online competitions for strong men. And I wow. love loved to lift. And, you know, in, in CrossFit, I was one of the stronger guys. So I just kind of dove into that. And then there was a, a competition. It's called Clash on the Coast. And if you qualify for this competition, you got your pro card. So I was like, okay, I had six months to train and I did it. And I ended up, the top 15 qualified, and I think I was like eighth. That's so, awesome. I ended up getting to, to do a couple pro strongman competitions before I had to really focus on business, that's make money, right? So, yeah, it was strongman. Interesting. That's a
0: weird. Weird mix of sport, but I I mean to me they all tie together, but mm. uh, I'm not standing up you can't see the like physical god that I am, but mm. uh they all sound similar to me, but that's just who I am. Um yeah with with that experience in professional sports and then you know self-taught on on the business side uh how how have you brought those principles uh from your your competing days right sportsmanship competition uh uh, a mindset of winning to the leadership styles that that you coach your clients through
1: yeah i think that's there's a few and that's another reason i love I love meeting people and having these kind of conversations. Cause it, I think it like a month ago, I, that would have been tough for me to answer. Right? Okay. Other than like the cliche, like, Oh, the hard work and overcoming things. Right. Cause obviously you, you, you do develop some sort of resilience. Yeah. You do, um, you know, getting beat up all the time in the gym or beating yourself up all the time in the gym yeah. to all you're doing is you're increasing the possibility of success. You're not guaranteeing anything. All you're doing is you're increasing the possibility of it. So you can, Kill yourself, not literally in the gym. Eat perfectly. Take care of yourself perfectly. It's the whole ball of wax that has to work together. That's one really big takeaway: is that you can't just be super focused in one area and and it you know hope that it overcomes the you know the lack of focus um, in other areas. Right? Everything has to sure. work together. You know, when a lot a lot of people you hear you know you can't outwork out a bad diet sort of thing, but there's about a million yeah. different pieces that have to work together, especially in those types of sports I was in because they're so dynamic. Yeah. Um, And then obviously you can work that hard and still not get your goal. Yeah. Right. Like, like I said, all you're doing is you're training and working to increase the odds of the outcome you want. You're not guaranteed anything. So understanding that, okay, I failed. Did I do my best? If I did my best, if I, if I truly believe that I did everything I could, that just means, okay, now I need to do something different. Mm -hmm. Right. Not a lot of people. They don't, I think in business, that was one thing that really helped me with is, they they fail or whatever like okay i'm gonna do the same thing again but i'm gonna try a little bit harder <laughs> right whereas you have to step back and okay if i didn't try really hard if i didn't put everything into it what do i have to do differently to do that and if i did do that what do i have to do differently to get the different outcome yeah right so it's kind of it gives you a different perspective on how to fail mm-hmm. which i mean some people would say that's not a great skill but i mean
0: i'm good at it <laughs> it happens yeah. to everybody man mm-hmm. uh, i tell people all the time uh, failure is inevitable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lesson is to, to fail. Uh, when you fail, fail fast and learn from the mistake and move on. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that goes for my nine year old or me running a business or my clients, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, failure is inevitable.
1: Yeah. And you have to, you have to be good at it. It's a skill that you have. You have to, if you want to, if you want to be successful, you have to do things that are different and you have to be creative. And if you're creating something, you don't know the outcome. Yeah. So you have to be okay with failing. Right. Absolutely. There's, there's no there's no blueprint for a lot of what we do. Yeah. So you just have to try stuff. You have to create it. And yeah. there's usually when you're like I don't know how many how many planes did they crash before they actually build a plane that flew?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <it> was, <laughs> The Wright brothers built a bunch of those wooden things. Yeah. There's a ton, right? But they, they, yeah. didn't,
1: they didn't give up They they knew, they knew how to fail. Cause when it failed, they had a system that they followed to improve it for the next time. Right. Yeah. But I think that that was a big one. That was a big one for me is just how to, how to fail yeah. and understanding that you can do everything right. And you still might fail. Sure. You still might not get the outcome that you want. That was,
0: th- those were, those were big for yeah. me. I think the the takeaways. I get that. Flipping gyms is a unique ex- experience, right? I mean, there's no two ways about it. You are literally the very first person that I've ever talked to that has been a flipper of gyms. Mm. Uh, have you done that more than once?
1: So I did it with, so I think I had four. Purposely, I did it with four <laughs> on purpose. Well, because I had, I know it sounds, so there, there were six total. Okay. The first two, I wasn't, I just wanted a place to work out. Yeah, I was learning. And then the next four, I was like, oh, I can, this is what I could do this. Yeah. Like I have a system. I can just go and do it. So there was four that I did it on purpose and two that I was just a part of. Sure. Yeah.
0: And, and so with that experience, um, I'm sure culture played a big part in getting that turned around. Right. Um Talk to us about how you've been able to successfully transform uh, organizations, whether they're the gyms that you were flipping and and made profitable or uh, the window company or uh, some of your other clients uh, through Summit Chasers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A lot of it's just about rowing in the same direction. Okay. Right. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And and gyms. So to, to speak on those first you're not just worried about your employees. They have to be the champions of the culture a thousand percent, mm-hmm. like true champions of it. And yeah. then it's almost like you're, cause there are there, a lot of them was a like class fitness, right? So everybody's very close, yeah. right? You, you would get clicks and they'd have parties and they'd you know, they meet their future husbands and wives there and that kind of stuff. And we would throw birthday parties for them and all that kind of stuff. Um, so you also, you're worrying about your, your members like the culture Mm of your members so you you have to have the balls to understand that okay this is the outcome i was talking outcomes this is the outcome if we let you know a few bad apples in because they can they can you know scare a lot of people away yeah right and they can they can mess with that, right? but it's, it's tough because when I say you have to have balls is that you're saying no to money, you're saying no to a couple of new memberships and possible sales and all this kind of stuff, right? Yeah you have to have the balls to look further in the future rather than just right here all the time and okay. make decisions based on keeping that because long term that's everything, and yeah. especially in, in, uh, in the gyms like that because everyone was so close. Like I said, we, people would meet, I don't, I can't, I don't have enough fingers to count how many, you know, husband and wives that met for the first time sweat right. on the gym floor. Right? <laughs> so having, having a, a vetting process for, even for your customers sometimes is if, if you're in the service, like, especially if you're in any sort of uh, service where you have, you know, whether it's a mastermind or you have group coaching calls or anything like that, like have the balls to vet even your customers that come in and say no to some people long-term because then they're usually the ones that if they're not a great fit or if they're loud or whatever it is, they're always the ones that end up leaving anyways and maybe take a couple people with them and then they go do the bad reviews and then it's, it's almost like it's kind of inconceivable how much negative effect that that would have. Absolutely. Right. And then it's the same if we're going to a manufacturing plant, your, your margin of error is really, really small. Okay. Like it's, it's very small. Like I'm, I'm a big six Sigma fan, you know, Kaizen, the Toyota way type of thing. And they have such, it's so structured that let's say like, okay, this person is abides by our core values at a 94 out of a hundred, right? It's, it's hard. (laughs) But if you get somebody who's, you know, 50% abides by the core values, right? They're much less likely to adhere to your process, the much like, less likely to, okay, they're, you know, they're, they're having a bad day, mm-hmm. right? They're gonna, they're more likely to take it out on whatever, the more, more likely to not follow through, the more likely to not stay at their station, the more likely to not cover somebody's ass,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Then mm-hmm. it, it screws up a lot of those safety nets. So it's, it's one of the, the cultures, one of those. And it's, it's funny, you can say, like, how's your company culture to 20 different you know leaders or execs or founders and they'd say 20 different things oh absolutely right? what does it mean to you right and it's it's just everybody rowing in the same direction and if you oh, don't have that and i think especially a great example is, is in a manufacturing plant where it's overlooked because those margins are so small yeah. right and the the, the air the room for error so small too that it's just like all that stuff makes such a huge difference like imagine if you have somebody like on your queue who's like a qc somebody at the end of your line who all of a sudden doesn't give a shit about (laughs) your product your service or your customers who's just like scanning stuff yeah good wrap it up and whatever and send it out throwing it like it makes it makes a big difference where most where most manufacturing plant managers will just be like okay something's wrong with the floor or something's wrong with the machine or something's wrong with the process. They don't, very rarely, are they going to look at, okay, this person is just not a good fit for this role. Even though he's doing the right things, he's pressing the right buttons. Yeah. Right. So it, it gets, it, a lot of it gets hidden, but it has,
0: it has big effects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, what, what kind of similarities or differences have you seen, uh, in company culture, um as a concept or even specifically uh between the different types of industries that you've worked with i mean uh fitness and and wellness to some major tech giants and and hp and salesforce to manufacturing how how does culture differ or is it similar between different organizations of different industries
1: yeah no it i mean it's 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 it has to be different right it has to be the the but the main di- the thing that shouldn't be different is the level of adherence to it sure right so we'll we'll see there's a lot of companies sorry a lot of different industries so like let's let's just say for fitness first right it's it's very different in the way of that, that industry is evolving a lot so you need to be a lot more creative so therefore the culture is a little bit more it's less follow everything to a t and it's more like, okay, everybody has fun. Everybody has to, you know, be nice to each other and push each other and not let each other off the hook and work really hard. But then after you're done working really hard, you're slapping each other on the butt and you're going to have a beer or something or whatever afterwards, right? Right. Um, so it's a li- it's, the, the culture is a lot more just be creative, support each other, whatever, right? And, if and because of that, you can have people who don't necessarily abide 100% to it, but they don't necessarily hurt it either. Okay. Right. But then you can't, obviously then you can't have people who totally screw with it and are dicks and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. But there is a lot more room between the, I just, I'm just here to get, get a good workout in and don't really care about anything else. And uh, that's not good either. But you know what I mean? Like they're all, they're all friends and they go to parties and they have, you know, they they, they invite them to Christmas sometimes. Right. Yeah. There's a big gap there. But then when you get into some of these other companies, like when we were working with Hewlett Packard, I'm a huge fan of those, of those two yeah bill hewlett and david packard huge fan of them um like they were so big like their culture was amazing when they were first getting started and it's still you can still see some of that resonating a little bit now okay they they just wanted to have a great company they didn't even when they started in their garage they did not know what their product was going to be they're just like let's just start a great company and that's (laughs) what they focused. on a great company it's crazy um but when I was working with them, so they, they had just acquired a company called Zerto, and we were working with their sales team. And there, they had a really cool culture too, where it was a little bit more hands off, right? Mm-hmm. It was you, know, you allowed your ads to be, and sorry, your aes to be a little bit more, you know, do what you need to do to get the clients, just meet your quota. Okay. Type of thing. And everybody, and they attracted people who worked really well in mm-hmm. that type of environment, and then people who needed guidance, who needed hand holding, who needed to have the whip cracked on. They didn't last very long. You can see that. So, going back to the fitness thing, like the gap between what was acceptable and what was perfect company culture, right, was pretty large. Then you get into mm-hmm. a company like this, to where it seemed pretty lax. But then these people, if they're not driven, if they don't, if they're not able to kind of self-sustain, then they don't make it. So now the gap to what is it is perfect company culture and what's accepted is a lot smaller. Sure. Right? And then you get into these manufacturing plants, like it, it's almost like this. Makes like sense. You, the because again, your margins for error are so much smaller, right? Like something goes out of whack, right? If you have a if you have a maintenance guy who's not you know diligent, on time, works hard, works well with everybody else, he communicates well with everybody else. Something goes down, you're losing tens, hundreds, millions of dollars, depending on what you're manufacturing, right? So the room for error is is a lot slimmer. Sure. Right. That similar makes total to, sense. Yeah, similar to leadership styles. Yeah. Right. Like you can have a, a leader who's just more of a facilitator, right? Just make sure your deadlines are hitting the facilitates. And then you have the leader who's like, if your foot goes over here, you're fucking us up. <laughs> right. So <laughs> I think that's that was a long winded way to say I think they're there the biggest difference is just the level of adherence that's needed to keep that company culture. Yeah.
0: This episode is brought to you by Spironi revolutionize your shop floor with Spironi where cutting edge technology meets craftsmanship, elevate precision, amplify productivity, Spironi experience, tradition, the future. What, what in your experience, uh, what is the, what is the, impact that leadership has on company culture regardless of the industry
1: no, it's absolutely everything they're your, they're your champions they're your champions of your culture and even in the gym space whether there was one owner and then just coaches right you would you would then say if you're looking at an org chart it's like okay a leader and a bunch of people that follow them right or really those are your champions because they're directly facing your clients so those are the champions right they are of the utmost importance. Yeah. You go to wherever, like you go to Tamco or Lamanco or whatever other company i worked with. Like those managers are the ones that they're the ones that get the new hires in and are training them. So they have to be, this, is, this isn't kind of a controversial word to, to use, but they have to like, they indoctrinate the culture in them. Yes. Yeah. So they have to be, they're the ones that are passing on the baton. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're the ones creating the next level of manager which what you don't want to do, and this is, I can't remember what the law is, but there's a, a book by David Horowitz, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, I think it's called. Um, but he says, I guess the, the, I can't remember what the law is called, but the premise is where the further you go down an org chart, right, the less dedicated, the less skill there will be, because you have your founders who usually, I'm not saying all the time, so I'm not trying to offend anybody who's listening to this, they hire people who are about as 80% as competent in their job as they are. Okay. Right. Whether it's because of ego or, or whatever it is, right. Just hiring practices. But generally you hire somebody who's 80% as competent as you are. Now you have, you have a, whether it's an executive or director line, that's 80% as competent as the founders. Now they're in charge of hiring under them. Now they will hire people who are 80% as competent as them. Typically interesting and the further you go down actually the worse it gets because then the more ego and the more more scarcity mindset because I don't want to lose my job or I want to move up or whatever it Very is good. right so that you keep hiring 80% same thing with culture if you don't have that front line whether whether your HR does your hiring HR is extremely important that they are the culture yeah. <laughs> right? but if a lot, a lot of companies especially SMEs they're managers are doing the hiring so if they're not completely ingrained in absolute champions of your culture they're going to hire people who are 70 80 percent as ingrained as them and then they're in charge of hiring and then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse right so you have to be as a company you have to be the, the most successful businesses out there are so like you can just you can just say their name and you're like you know what their culture is like it's so like if i say nike like you know what they're you know what it yeah. is having to Right. Yeah. Of course, was one too. Right. You, you you like, you knew what their culture was. Like if you don't have that and it's not defined with whether it's values, principles, a, a mission statement, a pur- purpose statement, whatever that is. And it's not continually almost over communicated. Yeah. Not just overly communicated, but overly practiced upon like almost fanatically it, it gets lost over time. And then yeah. 10 years down the road, you're wondering why does everybody suck? And <laughs> <laughs> I can't keep anybody and yada, yada, yada. So yeah. it's, Again, I'm giving you long-winded answers here, but it's it's I I can't state enough how important it is for your frontline managers to be as bought in and as grained into the culture as possible.
0: Yeah, they have to live it on a day-to-day basis. I mean, uh, that's one thing I talk with clients and uh I talk at trade shows and conferences about is the the Everybody has a culture, whether it's defined or not. Right? Um, the healthier cultures are typically the ones where the values of the organization and the values of the employee are aligned. Right? Mm-hmm. I, I break culture down as simply as that. Right? You talk about rowing a boat in the same direction. I talk about alignment. Same set. Same, same thing. Um, but. If your frontline leaders, if if your top line leadership, isn't living that culture that they desire on a day to day basis, there will still exist a culture. It just won't be the culture that they want. Yeah,
1: it'll. And you're right. There's always a culture, whether it's what you want it to be, what it should be, or that there always is. Yeah. And if you, and that's the other thing too. Like if you're if you're out, you know, a company or whoever founder leaders listening to this. And you have written out core values, right? That's not something you just put on a bumper sticker. Like right. you have to, as much as you say it, you have to abide by it. Double that. Yep. Because once you, once they see you slip up once, like if one of your core values is collaborative, and then you start making decisions without communicating, they're gonna be like, "Well, they don't care about that." Even though you say it all the time, they're just gonna be like, "Hmm." Absolutely.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And the other thing with values. It's, uh along that same line, they can't just be words on a wall or on a bumper sticker, right? You have to define what that word means to your organization because it, collaboration, going back to your example of you know, asking 20 executives what culture is, they'd give you 20 different answers. Well, if you ask 20 executives, even within the same organization, what does collaboration mean? You're going to get 20 different answers right so you may have these words that you throw up on a wall or throw on a bumper sticker or t-shirts or whatever but those don't really mean anything unless you define what exactly that word means to the organization right well a thousand percent and that's where i like the
1: combination of you have core values and then you have business principles the business principles are almost the definitions like the defining actions tenets of your core values. So one of our, and I use collaboration as an example. So one of the companies that we work with, one of theirs is collaborative. And then the principles that we coincided with that was, well, one of them that's on the top of my head is, you know, decision haven't been made until everybody needed to execute. That decision has been communicated with. Yeah. Right. So that, that, that would be a definition of collaboration that they had to abide by. But if I would have asked that to them without, you know, making the principles that have been like, I mean, I talk to people in the hallway all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? it, could be,
0: it could be whatever, right? Like I, I answer my texts. Like it's not exactly, yeah, exactly. Um, so, it, manufacturing is a traditional industry, right? Uh, traditional structures, traditional companies, traditional people within it. Um, in in your experience working with manufacturers and tech companies. What what kind of strategies have you found are most effective for fostering cultures of let's say innovation and creativity and and maybe even accountability within more traditional structured organizations?
1: Yeah. So one thing that really worked with um, one of our uh, because it was morph that really worked was like I said when they're on the line they don't like you don't be creative you just you stick with the process All right and then if you identify something. Bring it up afterwards. Don't try to fix it on the fly, right? Just 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 stick with it. But creating that space outside of that where they can be, like where you can get that live feedback, is I think is really really crucial. Like you don't just get them on the line, they you know have their breaks, eat lunch in silence, and then they just go home. Yeah, they're the ones out there seeing everything. They see the equipment. They they see the products come through. They they're the ones that are wrapping it and getting it sent out. Um, Create a space. Whether it's, you know, you do like a morning stand up, which is like, mm-hmm. hey, what is something that you saw yesterday that you can improve on or that can be improved on? Um, you know, how, what was our, you know, if like we want to do a thousand windows a day. How many windows did we hit? 990. Okay. Where did those other 10 go? Yeah. You get, that, get that feedback. So create that space, but it has to be separate. That's the difference. So it has to be separated from the line. Yeah. Like, so take, take the time off of that. And I think that was one thing that it took some time to convince our, Couple of managers that we worked with in, in the plants to, to do because again it's like if we hit our numbers it's great. Well, eventually our numbers are going to be two thousand a day, so you, sure. we, we can't. We have to be constantly okay. Well, how can we improve this, right? So I think that that constant frontline feedback, providing that time and space for constant feedback, is is huge.
0: I love it. I love it. Um... You brought up technology in that answer. How, how do you think manufacturers uh, could utilize technology, uh, digital tools, better to enhance the culture uh, of their organization? I think just to use it.
1: <laughs> you know, like it, it, it's it's simple. So we, and the reason I say that is because every manufacturing plant, so. I worked with when I worked with Tamco that they, they manufacture shingles. So I was in their manufacturing plant there and with it morph and then Lamanco too, they do vents for, for, uh, roofs. Okay. And, uh, the, the big thing was, is they, they two of the three used, I can't remember what Lamanco used, but two of the three used a, a system called Finavision. Okay. And if you're, I don't know if you're familiar with it. Mm-mm. Um, but it's used to, to key in like the measurements. So we'd have measure text out in the field. They measure, the windows on a house they would send in the measurements and then we would type everything into finiivision and FinnaVision basically just spits everything out it puts it out on the line and then it starts the process right and then cool. finiivision also intakes the from the QC department boom it's done right but we use it that's the thing they a lot of plants they they get this technology in and they use it for maybe five percent of its capabilities right like so yep. we we were a lot of them will, will stick to manual entry for a lot of measurements when well, all they need when when has a system where the measure tech can type in all the measurements comes in. All we have to do is just look at it, make sure the numbers don't look wacky. And then it just goes as opposed to sure. having people who sit there and key in orders opening it up for mistakes. Right. I think it's, it's, it's all about just minimizing mistakes. Yeah and use it for that anything where you have to manually go through and check things over and over again. Yeah. Constantly, it, that's going to create mistakes no matter what Right? I so get it. Utilizing the processes and the systems and technology, actually utilizing them <laughs> to their full fullest capacity because I mean then there's so in, in this industry and you know this, a lot of it there's a lot of old old thinking. Yeah. Yeah, Right. Like, I don't want to eliminate people altogether. Well, you're not eliminating them. You're just, you're just, you're creating an environment where you need to have the people that you do have need to be really, really good at what they do. You can upskill, right? You can can go faster. You can create more, more consistent. So you go from a 99 point, what is like What is a six Sigma? Like 99.996, you can go from 99.996 to 9996, right? Like, <laughs> which is a big, in, in a grand, like if you're doing 2000 windows that's a day massive. or whatever you're doing, it's huge, that <laughs> is gigantic. Absolutely. right? Like that's, like how many, like it just takes one bad job and the, then the reviews come in and it's just, you're just, then you miss sales and it's, it's hard to quantify it, but it's, it's brutal. But I think yeah. a lot, a lot of that for for the tech is, is like in QC and and then just taking out human error yeah. like, as much as you can and, and utilize the systems that that are being created right now. There's
0: some cool stuff. Yeah, cool stuff. Uh, how can leadership teams that want to go on a cultural journey, uh, whether that's you know a, a more positive or just a change in their culture, how can they ensure that? those changes to their culture are sustainable and not just temporary fixes. I don't know. I love that question. A lot of it is going to come in how you hire.
1: Okay. Tell us more. So many people, so many leaders, they they hire for like the day-to-day activities of a role, which again, and this is kind of why I love what you're doing and like manufacturing is kind of almost on the tail end of that because they come in, They just have to press these buttons. They just have to do this and that but what they, what you don't look at when you're hiring is, is the culture fit is the attitude, yeah. fit, the behavior, the traits, the habits, that kind of stuff. So is, it is ingraining that in your hiring process. And a lot of that is defined by when you're hiring for a role. Again, it's not just about the activities. What do I need this person to accomplish? Yep. I need, I need somebody to come in and accomplish not just this current role, but I need to create a foundation of people who I can grow this plant around. Cause I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're trying to grow right right your, your line needs to get bigger you're going to have more diverse equipment you're going to have bigger warehouses right and you you need to bring in those people you can't just hire for that role you need to sure. hire for the next five roles yep right so ingraining that in your in your hiring and selecting process is is big and taking it seriously because again a lot of times it's just so many and again plant manufacturing plants you get so many of them have the warm body syndrome <laughs> just just get a heartbeat just get a heartbeat if in they can fog a mirror Exactly. If hundred percent and and they settle for that and they have settled for that. And then they're like, well, our attrition or our retention rate is bad, but that's just how it is. It's, right. it's just the way it goes. I'm like, fuck that dude. I'm like, <laughs> well, it's, it's like this settling bullshit is so I'm swearing like crazy now, you know, I'm passionate. Go for they, it. Every, they settle. They're like, oh, this is yeah. just how it was like a 40% retention is normal for us. It's just the type of business it is. Well, then you don't, if you're saying that you don't really want to be a great business, like you don't truly want to be successful beyond your tenure yep right you don't actually want what's best for the people your customers and yourself even really and that goes with anything yeah right like even for sales teams a lot of them are like ah, our attention's bad you know the hours suck they have to travel a lot mm-hmm. it's like attract better people And if you're not <laughs> attracting good people why aren't you attracting good people the same yep. thing as the plant like the manufacturing plant you should have a development process that says if I bring somebody in on the line in a grunt role, here's the path they could have to get up here. Absolutely. And then hire for that. Yep. Not this. Because if you hire for this, you're probably gonna attract some shit. <laughs> right? Absolutely. But if you hire for this and set those standards for that and you give them that path, that's one thing that, that there's the, the studies with Gen X, Gen Xers. I think it's Gen Xers, right? The new the new the new people no those are the z's i'm z's, gen, gen x gen z, gen yeah. z sorry right but the, the gen z's is a lot of them they're lost yeah like when we were growing up it was go to school i mean i didn't follow this i'm a bad example <laughs> but you're supposed to you're supposed to you know go to school you go to college meet your husband or wife have kids and you know make a hundred thousand dollars a year and go on vacation you know twice a year to the town over whatever right to me that sounded boring that's why i'm here but we, we we still we still had that we still had that framework we had a blueprint to follow yeah right Where we gen zers it's like i can do anything i don't want to do anything i don't know how to do anything so they don't have a, a map so and generally when you're in a this type of, of role will attract typically yeah. obviously not all the time but typically you want it to attract those types because then and then it's you give them that path you say okay you're here if you keep if you work hard and you do this, you'll be here in three to six months, and then you do X, Y, and Z here, you'll be here in whatever your your timeline is, right? You can expedite right. what you want, or but you give them that path, you give them that opportunity. They see the light at the end of the tunnel. They see a reason to stay, and they see that you're invested in them. Yep. Again, a lot of this is just swept under the rug in manufacturing plants because it's just looked at roughneck, redneck rolls. Yep. Redneck. I said redneck. I meant roughneck, <laughs> roughneck rolls, whatever. Yeah. Like it's just, blue it's collar. like the yeah. blue, blue collar, Yeah. Whatever color you are, I don't care. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just not seen as that. So that's not, the priority is not put on hiring for the next five and when they're there, give them the path and develop them. That's
0: awesome. Yeah, I agree. So I asked my guests at the, uh, as we're starting to wind down a little bit, what three initiatives they've implemented that have changed their company culture. I, I'm gonna change this for you. Uh, give me three initiatives that, uh, manufacturers companies in general, because we're starting to get listened to by other skilled trades or, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, people in other skilled trades, uh, what are three things that, that leaders can do? To change their company culture without giving away any of your, you know, Summit Chasers' secret sauce that you guys work on there. What are three things that that leaders could do to change the culture?
1: Oh no, I, I, I'll, I'll give it all away. I don't care. Um, well, one of the thing is, well, I'll just say it then. So with, with Summit, like it's a, it's a framework acronym, right? So the S in Summit is start with you. So it's personal development. Okay. And a lot of leaders, like you're you're this you're, you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be the ceiling. Yeah. Right you're supposed to be the ceiling and your business it's very hard for your business to exceed past that ceiling which is you so personal development when people see that you're investing in yourself mm-hmm. you see that you're reading you're you're talking about something that you read or you learned you're talking about you know a workshop that you're doing or whatever it is it it's it's it rubs off on people right sure. and obviously then you're learning things to pour into your business you create different habits different behaviors you're usually that you When you start going down that path you your inner circle changes you attract and you're around higher caliber people therefore you attract higher caliber people then you can attract better talent you can retain better talent you can grow your business higher you can get good um, you can get much better or at least easier you know good strategic partnerships or whatever it is right yep um so it's it's developing yourself like start there like you're again your business can't grow past at least it's difficult for it to difficult for it to sustain where it grows past you, especially when you're the top dog. Mm -hmm. Right. Then that's a recipe for just being stuck. Yep. Um, so I would, I would start there. And then the next thing for the culture is to define what that is. Just got it. Like, what is it? Right. right? Yeah, exactly. Like, what is that? And again, putting words to it is great. I'm really, I'm a big fan of like offsite meetings. Like you get your leadership team together, go offsite. Um, Discover what your core values are, define them, like you said, with whether it's core business principles or you just write them out for yourself. Yep. Um, and then set tangible, like a, we call it like a B, BHAG. Everyone's probably heard of that now, big hairy goal. Yep. Set it. That's your North Star guided by your core values and principles. Now you have, it's almost like a funnel. Now you have something to funnel people to. Like, and you guide them towards that as well. Right. And then because you defined it, Usually, sorry, because you defined it, it's a lot easier to recognize. It's a lot easier to see in others, Mm -hmm. right? So then, when you're hiring better people, sorry, you can see it when you're hiring people, and then you know how to hold people accountable to it. Because, like, our point collaborative, this person they're supposed to be collaborating with the QC department. They're not collaborating at all, and we've missed. You know, we've had however many jobs go out with you know busted screens or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and that's in place for a reason, right? We yeah. need to be, in order to be successful, we need to be collaborative. So define it, very clear, abide by it, act act it through, right? And then the third one would be just giving giving your leadership a space, giving your leadership to give their employees, their direct reports, a space to be creative, hmm. to be heard, right? Because some of the, I mean, the best decision making practices are in in a group with, yeah. they call it the constructive conflict, right? Like constructive conflict is probably one of the biggest drivers to a healthy, a uh, healthy culture. Cause again, it's, you solve better, you solve problems better, faster, yeah. you're more proactive, right? People are more likely to develop up, right? Because they're constantly challenging each other. They're being called out. They want to improve. No one wants to be called out. <laughs> right? it, is, it is what yep. it is. And, and then again, you, open it up to innovate much, much quicker and, and stay ahead of the game. So I think that that constructive allowing for and enticing constructive can make sure it's constructive, not just conflict, constructive, right? That constructive conflict. I think
0: those are, those are, that's, that's a big one. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Um, Zach, you have a podcast of your own. What, what's the podcast?
1: Yeah, it's just summit chasers podcast. It's actually launching in what's the date today. It's launching in two days on the
0: 21st. All right. Well, this episode will be airing on the 21st. So today, as you're listening to this, when you're done with this episode, listen to the Summit Chasers podcast. But after you listen to this one, Um, (laughs) Zach, as we finish up here, what are some. What do you want to share with the audience that I haven't asked you? What what are some parting knowledge bombs that you have for us?
1: Man, I think we shared quite a bit, but one, one big thing is, you know, if you listen to my story and if if it at all um, you're able to relate to it at all, one big thing that I've taken away, I mean, even just recently, is to give your past experience, your past, your past accomplishments, your past failures, give it credit for where you're at, and then give it credit for evidence that you can get to where you want to be. Again, that was one thing that I, I have struggled with in the past where, where I want to go is not a direct relation to what I've done. And because I've done what I've done, you know, I don't deserve certain things, but I've overcome a lot. And a lot of people have overcome a lot of things and they have figured yeah. out a lot of things. They've created new skills. And because you've done that before, you now have evidence to that you can succeed right in, in anything. So I give, give your, give your past experience some, uh,
0: you know, the, the credit, give it, give it the credit that it needs. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you very much, Zach. I appreciate you being on today. This was an absolutely awesome conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I knew it would be after you and I first had our our, our conversation. Uh, thanks for reaching out. I'm glad you were able to join today. Uh, everybody, uh, this has been a lot of fun. But that's a wrap uh, for today's episode of the Manufacturing Culture Podcast. We've had an extraordinary hour with Zach Carlin, whose journey from waking up in a slide to being a triple threat athlete to now a transformative business leader has left us with some invaluable insights uh, and strategies for nurturing culture and leadership in the manufacturing industry and beyond. From flipping gyms to scaling businesses, Zach's unique blend of tenacity, innovation, and leadership has truly redefined what it means to drive positive change in the industries that he's touched. Don't forget, you can relive this episode and explore many more at the ManufacturingCulturePodcast.com. That's ManufacturingCulturePodcast.com. Dive into our treasure trove of content where the heart of manufacturing culture beats the loudest. Again, a huge thank you to Spironi uh, for their unwavering support and sponsorship. Their commitment to precision and excellence mirrors the spirit of our podcast and the amazing guests that we feature. Now, it's over to you, our fantastic listeners. Share this episode with your friends, your colleagues, and anyone passionate about the world of manufacturing, company culture, or just hearing stories about human beings. Your shares help spread these powerful stories and strategies far and wide. While you're at it, take a moment to rate and review the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Or on YouTube, if you're watching us, your feedback not only fuels our growth, but it also helps bring more compelling content your way. It's the content that you want, and it helps us helps drive us up the charts. Stay tuned for more episodes where we will dive deep into the culture of manufacturing, bringing you the stories, strategies, and leaders that are shaping our industry's future. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep innovating, keep inspiring, and keep manufacturing a culture of excellence. Have a great day, and keep making things.